welcome to our podcast. Unfortunately, Ian isn't with us today as he's not very well, but we are going to have an update on the war in the Ukraine, inflation and interest rates, and we touch on cryptocurrencies and technology stocks too. Uh, So I think the most important thing is an update uh, with regard to what is happening in Eastern Europe and how that is affecting markets at the present time. John, what do you think? I think markets are probably now starting to, while obviously Ukraine has uh, has a significant influence due to you know, f- grain, food prices, energy prices, because it's all linked. I think markets are now starting to pay a little more attention to what's going on economically. So, I mean, in terms of the Ukraine, it looks like Putin's invasion is is failing even even more than it was before. So I, I really can't see that he's going to get much out of it other than the most he can probably hope for is, um, is some of those eastern provinces. And we're probably looking at a frozen conflict that is going to be going on for quite some time. But as I say, I think it Uh, the economy or or economics is now coming back to the fore. Every central bank is now pretty much is is now tightening. They they can now see how how far behind the inflationary curve they've they've become. But we're still looking at double digit inflation here and in the States. And we've got interest rates of 1% at the moment. The ineptitude of these people knows no bounds. And as we've been saying for such a long time, inflation was going to spiral out of control. And it now has. They have now totally lost control of it. And um, I think that's really the most serious economic problem that, that, that we face. They've, uh, they've shot all their ammunition, really, on, on targets that, that weren't worth firing at. And now here we are with the cost of living spiraling higher, energy prices, you know, it's fertilizer prices. It's everything that's going to come, come into, the, into the price of, of everything you buy in the supermarket. Uh, and these people now are scrambling to actually put rates up. Um, if they'd done this many, many years ago, uh, they would have now had some room to manoeuvre, but they have boxed themselves into um, a policy disaster and um, it's going to make things worse. But again, as we've said many times before, this is what happens when you get academics uh, running central banks um, rather than people who have real knowledge of the real world and have some business experience. So last week, the Bank of England raised interest rates by 25 basis points. Interestingly, three of the eight on the committee wanted a 50 basis points increase. And next week, we have got our CPI and RPI figures coming out, measuring inflation. And I think those numbers are going to be incredibly ugly. So when the Bank of England meets again, it's going to be very interesting to see whether what, what happens to interest rates. In America, inflation has taken a little bit of a arrest uh, in terms of the amount it's increasing by uh, earlier this week. But uh, Jerome Powell is still factoring in 250 basis point rises when the Fed meet in the next two meetings. I think the thing about the US is that it's the world's most efficient economy. It's the world's biggest market. It's a market where economies of scale can be reaped, and yet they've got inflation at, at the rate that, that, that they've got, which is close to double digit. It just shows you this is a global phenomenon, and that if the US is reflecting it, um, it's everywhere. 
So when folks talk about what's going on here or the government can do this or that, the, the government's has no room for manoeuvre pretty much this is a a global phenomena that is um is washing now through the world and and a lot of it is due to the um insane money printing that's been going on for years and again it's something we've talked about um quite a lot but the chickens have now come home to roost yeah, I mean, there, there are many things, aren't there? They're already saying that there's going to be weak, or there was weaker uh, economic activity in March. But there are all sorts of unintended consequences. Student debt, for example, is linked to the retail price index, I believe. And when the retail price index was at 2 or 3% and your interest rate was 2% above the RPI, then you were paying 5% on your student debt. Uh, RPI is nine now, so you're already paying double digit. And if the RPI goes to 14 or 15 percent, then the student debt numbers are going to be hideous. And the compounding of of the interest um, is going to be hugely unaffordable for an awful lot of people. It's it's just one, as you say, it's just one facet of the you know the law of unintended consequences. What these dimwits have presided over, that they have created economies addicted to not just cheap credit, but virtually free credit. And therefore, any moves higher in rates uh, is going to be really, really painful. You know, I can remember my first mortgage, I think, was something like 12 or 13%. Now, I'm not saying that that's where rates are going, but I am saying that the period that we've just lived through, rates have been extraordinarily low and they've now created or, or, or yeah, they, they, they've created an economy that, that, that is based upon consumption and is reliant on ultra cheap credit. Uh, it's coming to an end and therefore very small movements in interest rates are really going to hurt. Um, it's, it's just incompetence. And I, I don't think there is any any chance whatsoever that we're going to escape a recession. It's just a question of how deep it is. Consumer um, sales and, and consumer demand are already on the way down. So yeah. um, that, that, yeah. there's no doubt about it. And then, of course, what's going to happen with regard to the housing market? That was what I was going to say. I, mean, I think there are vast swathes of the population in this country, certainly, who are, have never experienced the rates that John was just talking about back in the 80s. And it simply doesn't enter into their brains. That, that, uh, and I'm not saying that's because they're stupid. It's because they've never experienced it and they just don't think it's going to happen. But when they're sitting down thinking, well, can I, shall I buy this flat? Um, I can get a mortgage for 2.5% uh, fixed for five years. But what are they going to do when after five years, interest rates are 9% and they're borrowing up to the, up to the hilt? Um, plus, I mean, we've all seen negative equity in, in action back in the 80s. That's a pretty nasty thing. Um, I just think that the, the steam has to come out of the housing market at some point. Anecdotally, I've just spoken to a client this morning who rang me up because she was worried about one of her uh, managed funds that had ha- had seen explosive growth um, over the last couple of years and, and now recently has come back quite sharply, but she's still in the money. And um, she said to me, well, I've got, I've got about £200,000 worth of cash ices, so I, and, and her, her money with us is, is less than that. So she said, I, I, I guess I can just... Uh, um, afford to sit it out although it is worrying me so i said well 
you know, you shouldn't get worried about equity investment, especially if it's in the proportions that you have. But the bottom line is with £200,000 worth of cash ices with uh, inflation at its current rates, is that money is going backwards. Yeah, I mean, that's absolutely right. And traditional lower risk investments, which were always fixed interest investments, bonds, now look incredibly expensive, potentially. The yields on them are next to nothing. And that's a consequence of having interest rate, negative interest rates of 7 8%. Last time inflation was at this level, you still had positive interest rates because interest rates were double digit. It's also the result, again, going back to idiot central bankers buying in huge amounts of their own debt. So they fix the price of uh, sovereign debt uh, by, by buying it with printed money. So it's too high to start with. And then, and then they've created the inflation with, with their money printing that has, has, well, that they've lost control of. So this recipe that they have put together is, uh, is, is really not worth serving. And it's going to be a lot harder now because they've removed all their policy options. So um, it, 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 you really couldn't have got it more wrong. So what we're saying really is that those clients of ours who are looking at their portfolios, you know, our advice would be to sit tight. You've got some nice investments that um, are producing regular dividends. Um, uh, the capital may well go up and down a bit because that's what stock markets do. And short-term movements are, you know, they can be quite worrying and they can be quite painful. For me, having watched this Kate Bake, do we believe that central banks are now going to put up a rate sufficiently to kill the inflation that they have created? And I don't believe that they are because they're not going to want a very, very deep recession happening on their watch. They're clueless about economics. They couldn't see it happening. But now it's here. They are not going to put rates up, in my view, as far as they should in order to regain control of it. So what they're actually probably going to do is just allow the inflation to go. They'll make a token effort. I mean, they're putting rates up now. They're only doing it because everyone else is doing it. Like, so like a, like a herd of sheep, they do the same thing to make it look like they're doing something. Unfortunately, they don't know what they're doing. They won't put rates up sufficiently to kill the inflation. So that says to me that inflation now is going to be baked in for some time. So if that's where things are going what investments have the best chance of passing those inflationary price increases on? It has to be businesses of substance that have you know, high returns on capital that are well managed, that have been around for 100 years. Those businesses are those that are in the best place to pass those inflationary increases on. And those are the businesses that we wish to invest in. So uh, in my view, uh, yes, you just have to take some of it on the chin, but there's pretty much nowhere else to go. Mediocre businesses will not be able to pass this inflation on. They may be able to reclaim some of it, but my guess says most of them won't be able to reclaim all of it. But you know, if Mrs. Ash wants a new L'Oreal lipstick, is she, not, is she going to jip at paying an extra couple of quid? I, I would say she probably isn't. If, if she wants some Nescafe coffee, um, is she going to go and buy Lidl's own brand? My guess is she won't. So we want pricing power 
which is really the kind of stuff that we've always been investing in. So it's, it's not a great time, but those businesses that we traditionally invest in are best suited to reclaim the inflation that I think is obviously now evident and is not going to be extinguished by central bankers who, because I just don't believe they're going to put rates up sufficiently high enough to, to kill it, to kill the inflation. I'm a bit concerned, John, that you seem to know an awful lot about the personal consumption habits of my wife. Um, I, I thought you were also going to refer to the fact that is she going to jib at paying an extra 50 fee for a bottle of fever tree tonic? The answer is no. There are always opportunities. Um, and I think, as we've alluded to, it's who do you trust to preserve the real value of your capital and it's not central banks and it's not fixed interest investments and you've got to put your trust in my opinion as john says into first class businesses there's no doubt about it there are going to be choppy waters ahead for some time but those businesses like nestle uh, like fever tree we believe will shine through in the long run so for People who have money to invest, there are opportunities for people who are looking at their existing investments and do not have confidence in their ex existing advisors. There are always opportunities to move the money very simply to somebody who they believe will preserve the capital and the income in the longer run. We're investors in all these businesses. We eat our own cooking. It's what our business is based upon. We do for clients what we do for ourselves. So you know, in some cases, I can think of great businesses that have come down in price. And yes, maybe it would have been better to have sold them and then repurchased them. But when you've got the cost of sale, when you've got the cost of repurchase, when you've got the, the capital gains tax to pay, well, let's put it this way, I'm not clever enough and I, don't and I don't believe anyone else is to know when you're going to get the opportunity to get back into them. I'd rather not bother with the round trip. We've already made the decision to buy these businesses. They would have to be hideously overvalued to make it a sensible option to sell them. So for those reasons, if you're already owning businesses of, of, of quality, I'm not interested in flipping a coin and trying to guess when to sell them and when to repurchase them. Yeah, and I think the other thing is that um, a lot of the lot of investment managers are blinded by what is actually going on at that particular moment in time. A lot of them have fallen for uh, recent initial public offerings, uh, IPOs, and there are some well-known names which have performed appallingly. Uh, Aston Martin Lagonda, their share price is down something like over 90%. Just Eat peaked at £100 a share and it's currently £15 a share. Dr. Martin's eventually came to the market and again, its share price has gone down by about two thirds. These were companies which were brought to the market with big fanfares and unfortunately people haven't delved into the accounts and seen that in general, a lot of these companies are laden with debt and that has started to cause issues as time has progressed there's another issue uh, with a lot of these businesses and that's just look at who owns them private equity often is bringing them to the market 
And when Mr. Private Equity starts listing stuff on the stock market, nine times out of 10, it's better to just let it pass. And it's what Mr. Buffett tells us. Yes, yes. I mean, you don't get to be a billionaire by uh, talking out the back of your head, do you? No, no. And of course, the other thing which has happened of late is that these uh, technology stocks have come off considerably. That, I think, is causing quite a lot of problems. And interestingly, again, cryptocurrencies have fallen significantly and there could be further cash calls on some of these investors and they might then end up having to sell other assets, which in general will be the technology businesses rather than sort of old economy businesses. So that could put further pressure on technology. I can't understand any of these cryptocurrencies. In in my opinion, Bitcoin is spelt with a silent SH or pronounced with a silent SH. (laughs) When you look at the quality of much of the fund management industry, it's absolutely shocking. And it's just a marketing drive by most of these people um i won't name names because that would be unfair but i was just thinking about two two portfolios i've acquired recently one was all cash and the other was uh, shares transferred from another broker well let's talk about the, the all cash one first and the client said to me and it's quite a substantial amount of money it's a million plus are you going to invest everything at this all at once And I said to him, no, I'm not going to do that because, frankly, I don't know what Mr. Putin's capable of. And this was it came to me in the middle of this war. So I said, normally what I'd like to do is is to invest about a third of it into the stock market. So we're not sitting naked, um, totally exposed to movements in the market and then watch things develop and add th- add bits here and there. And, and I'm jolly glad I did because, you know, we know what's happened. The other point I was going to make about the quality of the portfolios we see uh, coming in from other brokers, uh, again, a lot of it's shocking. A lot of it's, and these are quite substantial amounts of money that are invested in, what can, how can I put it, managed products is the best I can put it, I think, where invariably the title of the actual investment is barely intelligible. And you sort of think, well, why have you got this? Why haven't you got L'Oreal? Why haven't you got Unilever directly? And I guess it's because these larger organisations, they think it's just it's much easier to pop the million-pound portfolio into the million-pound portfolio drawer, and therefore you get all these managed products that nobody quite knows what's, what's what. I think all too often being fully invested is looked upon as some kind of virility symbol. I'm hardly ever fully invested because I always want to have opportunities, uh, dry ammunition for anything that may come along. And we just don't know how low things can go. So I never want to be in a position where I don't have that spare ammunition to deploy. Now, yes, sometimes it's like waiting for buses. Sometimes, you know, you, you can be waiting and waiting and then three come along at once. But if you haven't got the ammunition ready to go, then you can't take advantage of it. So it's not a problem to be sitting on some cash. And as I say, this industry usually will deploy all the funds immediately because I think they're scared stiff of actually underperforming a a relative benchmark. And as we all know, well, I say as we all know, as very few of us actually know, relative returns are not really worth having. The only returns that are worth having are absolute ones. You can't spend relative returns. That's a very good point. I remember well, and you will too, 
uh, when a unit trust salesman came to us years and years ago and the particular fund that he'd sold us, uh, which, which, you know, to give his due, we thought, yeah, that's okay. Um, it's, it's, it's a sort of balanced UK fund. It had actually gone down in value. And we said to him, well, yeah, nice to see you, but it's gone down. And that's, we didn't really expect it to go down by so much. And he said, oh, well, relatively speaking, it's outperformed. <laughs> great. <laughs> great. Thanks very much. Yeah. You've been a great help. Yeah, there you go. Robert, just going back to your point, I think that some of the larger firms, they use the managed funds because there are issues dealing in direct equities. I mean, we, we've struggled selling 10,000 uh, Reckitt Benkiser shares, which are worth £600,000. It's a FTSE 100 company. But if you're trying to deal in £60 million worth or £120 million worth, then you are really going to struggle when the investment committee of these large firms in London says to its X number of offices, we are now uh, flagging this up as a sale, then they all have to be sold. Um, so it's, it's not easy. I think really so much of this stuff, so much of how investment or how capital is deployed in this industry, it's actually an an exercise in not making any decisions rather than an exercise of making specific decisions and buying things that you have true belief in rather than just buying a bit of everything and, and hope it all comes out in the wash. Well, that brings us to the end of this uh, podcast. So thank you to my partners, Robert and John, and we will no doubt record another one in due course. This material shouldn't be considered as advice or an investment recommendation. You should consult an advisor regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority prior to making investment decisions. All investments carry a degree of risk. The value of any investment or income received from it can go up as well as down, and you may not get back the amount invested. Information recorded within this podcast was accurate at the time of recording.